Louis Gregory is. Not only is he a good friend of mine, but uh, Louis is responsible for leading me to the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. I'm most happy about that. Praise God. Amen. And uh, we've we've been together many years. Praise God. And many years. Many years. And uh, <clears throat> many years. I'm excited about what the Lord has for us today. I I trust the ministry in Him. And I pray that you open up your hearts to receive what God has for us today. It'll bless you real good. And uh, Lewis has not only given me the gospel, but he's lived the gospel in front of me and has been an example to me, and, and he will be to you also. So uh, that qualifies him to speak into our lives. Are, are, you, are you hearing me? So we praise God for him being here. Brother, just go ahead and lay Amen. 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 Well, I'm looking forward again to what all God has in store for us together. I always enjoy you and what the Lord is doing through you, and it uh, refreshes me. So what I'm wanting to do today is just kind of walk you through some things about where I've come from. You, you sit and you see people and you wonder, where is he coming from? Where is she coming from? What are they about? And so I want to tell you some things like that. And I want to start by giving you a current event that you have heard bits and pieces of, but I want to give it to you in a way that you can get a handle on it, hopefully, from the Lord. Let me pray. Father God, we just thank you that you have made yourself known to us. I praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, that you're both in us and among us right now. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are the unction by which we do what we do. And Lord, we glorify you among ourselves today, for you are the Almighty God. And I praise you, Lord, that you are real and alive right now in us in this place. And we are here to worship and magnify and glorify you and to release you, Lord, into your fullness to do your good and perfect works. For, Lord, you are the gentle shepherd, and you've come with tender arms of compassion to embrace us and to transform us into your glory and grace. Now, we magnify your holy name. I, I magnify your holy name. I magnify your holy name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Ah, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Hey, I'm the redeemed of the Lord, and I'm going to say so. I'm going to tell you what God's up to. Now, Roger mentioned a moment ago about Lou's accident. Many of you had prayed somewhat about that. We were in Bermuda on a ministry vacation time. Really neat situation arose. A Christian organization invites uh, Christian leaders in to teach for a week, and they only have to speak one time every morning and get the whole rest of the day off it's like a vacation, really. They want the ministers to be blessed, too. And so they bring them in to minister and then to take a vacation. So Lou and I were doing that. Day one of our preaching time, spoke that morning. We went out to see the fish and snorkeling. I mean, we had a great time. Got on our little mopeds, zoom, zoom, you know, and speed limit's only 20 miles an hour, and they had the little um, adjustment on the engine so you couldn't go any faster, but we're, we're cruising along at about 15 miles an hour, you know, not too heavy-duty into this stuff, but just taking our time, enjoying the scenery, and driving along the road, minding our own business. When about that time, I suddenly find myself being compelled of God through however, I don't know, to look behind me, and there, face down, on the road, is my lovely wife. I am, I am devastated. Can't even begin to describe in words the, the range of emotions that came over me. I mean, an instant thought, who did this to her? Who caused this? 
and you know, I'm going to be the man of the house here. I'm going to take charge and do a number on this guy that's done my wife like this. But I mean, God snuffed that dirty deed out of my mind right then and just flooded me with a calm assurance. And I began to acknowledge him in all my ways. Lord, you are Lord in this. You are in control here. I praise you. I thank you. And I rushed to her side, got down beside her, laid my hand on her back and just began to pray. I don't know what I prayed. The Spirit of God just came on me and moved me into intercession and into prayers of faith that I have no knowledge about. And I just began to pray and pray. Oh, I was emotionally torn up, mentally in anguish, but in my spirit, peace, continuous and increasing peace. What I'm wanting to describe to you is the awesome presence of Christ. We talk about Christ being our life. We talk about being filled with the Spirit. I want you to know there is no time to figure out which principle to apply in that instant. There is no time to try to conjure up which scripture, which scripture that you've memorized might be appropriate. There is no time to claim some promise. Either you are clinging as your life to Christ and you are founded on the solid rock of Christ or those times you will waver, crumble, and collapse. And everything was pulling me down and yet he was pressing me up. I felt like I, you know, we see pictures on television of these floods and the waters are rushing through the town and I mean trees and houses are being swept on. I was being swept by a torrential flood. But the grace of God was booing me up and, and keeping me up head and shoulders above the waters that were trying to suck me under and consume me. And she's lying there and she is motionless and she's breathless and she's lifeless. I could see no sign of life and in that instant of time, of those minutes that passed, I have no idea how long, I came to an awareness that I had lost my wife. She was gone. And yet, God's grace sustaining me compelled me to continue to pray and pray. And, and, and then at some point there, some several minutes later, she began to make this noise, <laughs> gasping for breath. I mean, it was a hideous sound. But it was a sound of life. Hallelujah. And there was a sense of, 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 of a rejoicing that she's, she's alive. She's alive. And at that time, she turned her head, and her nose was so flat, just literally smashed flat. Oh, my Lord, I got sick at my stomach. I, I saw her there, and it was, it was like another wave just came crashing down on me because it became evident then that her body was somehow really messed up, and her face looked hideous. And, and, you know, this is my beautiful bride we're talking about now. And, and this is, in the natural realm, it is not good. Just, but it's God. That, by the Spirit, I know. This is God, and therefore it is for our good. And I will not let the devil rob me. So, again, the grace of God, I'm telling you, not some super saint, super faith, but the grace of God impelling me to fight a good fight of faith. A good fight is because it's already won. We're more than conquerors here. The victory's ours. And so again, there's an inner knowing of Christ that is so full in me that now in the instant of the increase of pressure, which is to my mind our greatest tragedy, is enabling me to stand in this most critical moment. And so again, there was, in fact, at that time, when it looked so bad, even though I had the signs of life, she's breathing, she's turned her head, and spontaneous praise and worship overcame me, overcame me. And I just began to raise my hand and worship the Lord, one hand on her back, one hand to the Lord, and worshiping him on the side of the, on this road, actually in the middle of the road. 
and the ants are crawling all over us, and I'm worshiping God. Now, that's God. That is not something you work up. That's not putting on the smiley face, happy face in the morning when you're in the church service. Come on, everybody, let's smile. No, that doesn't work that way. That is God on the inside pressing out on the outside into the circumstance surrounding you. I am describing for you the grace of God when Christ is truly your life. And when you are, in fact, walking by faith in the Spirit, that's how it works. That's how it works. It's a natural and spontaneous flow. That river of living water is flowing out, and it's a gusher such that nothing can stand in its way. The Holy Spirit cannot be quenched or stopped when he's released to flow in you and flow through you. And that's what was happening. And that's what was happening. And it took 25 minutes for the ambulance to get there. Small island, but narrow roads, crowded roads, and only one place where the ambulance is. That's at the hospital in the center of the island. But it finally arrived. And when they got there to check her out, you know what? Her nose was normal. And she was sitting up by that time, and I was holding her in my arms. And she's sitting there. Now, she's groggy. She's out of it. I mean, she doesn't know what's going on. She's crying, she's moaning, she's groaning, but she's sitting up in my arms. And her nose and face look normal. Not even, a, not even any blood on her nose. Now, she had a big chunk knocked out of her chin, but if you look at her today, you'll see that that's not even a scar. Because the Lord spoke to me there, the very same verse, interestingly enough, that Pastor Roger preached on, about the same time I'm going through this fire. And he said, you're going to go through this fire, and you will not be burned. You're going to go through this fire, but you will not be burned. And he said, what that means is, as Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego went through the fiery furnace, they came out without the smell of smoke. Amen. And he said, you're going to come out of this, and there won't even be a trace left. And from what I can tell, it looks like every scar and scrape on her body has healed without even an evidence of any accident ever having occurred. And that's the Lord. And that's the Lord. And do you know, when the doctor sewed up the cuts in the back of her head and put those 10 or 12 stitches, he did not even shave her head, ladies. Is that special? Doesn't God care about these things? He didn't even take the razor and, you know, take it off. And so she's even got her hair normal and natural again, see? And the stitches came right on out, and the, and the, the wounds in her scalp are healed. And this is the Lord. And this is the Lord. Now, that's day one. That's day one. I go through that time with her. I mean, God rolled out a red carpet. They let me ride in the ambulance. Then they let me stay in the emergency room. The doctor, the head surgeon of the emergency room, was on the scene standing at the door and waiting. As we arrived, they brought her right in and took her right in and took care of her. He let me come with her, stay by her. I was there holding her hand, caressing her forehead, praying over her the whole time. And God kept flooding me with the, uh, some very definite words of truth and life, specifically out of Psalm 23. And in that psalm, he kept saying, Thou anointest my head with oil. And I would just put my hand on her head and say, In the name of Jesus, I anoint your head with the oil of the Holy Spirit, who will quicken your mortal body. And I praise you, Lord, that your spirit is quickening her mortal body. And I just kept praying that and praying that. And finally... Uh, at some point in the evening, the Lord allowed me to make uh, three phone calls, only three. I was, uh, you'd have to know the situation. Phones aren't accessible there too handy. And, but I got in three calls between when they moved her from the emergency room up to intensive care. 
And uh, by that time, we had the results of the x-rays and the CAT scans and all that. A fracture in the back of her skull, no other bone broken. Her neck and spine, perfect. Now, here's a woman who was thrown off of a motorbike, uh, landed on her head, flipped around on the road somehow, and had scars and, and chunks of skin knocked out of both ankles, three or four big chunks of skin out of both knees, arms, elbows scraped and scratched, and a chunk out of her skin, and the only fracture is in her skull. Now, that in itself has got to be the grace of God. Now, whether she never got a fracture or whether God healed her from down the road, I don't know, but one thing I know is, praise God, she didn't have any. And they found that the frontal lobe was hemorrhaging all across the frontal portion of her brain, that her brain had swollen already at a, at a dangerous point with excess fluid, and they were going to put her in intensive care for observation, and, and they were going to do the x-rays again the next morning, and if the fluid had continued to increase and the swelling had continued to increase, they said they would drill into her skull, tap her skull, and pull out this fluid, and then they'd decide what needed to be done next. And so I made the three phone calls. And every person that God led me to call, and he showed me exactly which ones to call, everyone prayed a prayer of faith in full expectation of her entire complete healing. And what a, what a reassurance and affirmation of what I was standing and believing God for, what I sensed God was doing. And so again, just time after time, God is just, it's as if from the moment of that accident, Lou and I were enveloped in a cocoon of his protective presence. And yes, I was blasted by the enemy on many occasions, as I've just described and more, because then the thoughts began to come, well, wait a minute. I thought God's supposed to protect you. How could this happen to you? Where is God in all this? Do not entertain those thoughts, because once you do, you're in a downward spiral, because it'll suck you in and, and chew you up and spit you out. That's what'll happen, because that's that tree of knowledge raising its ugly head. Old Satan through the tree of knowledge, trying to get you to understand some things. You don't need to understand anything. You just need to know. Amen. The Lord is here. Amen. The Lord is in me. And he is the Almighty God. And nothing's too hard for him. And you hang on to that knowing of him in you in this. That's what will carry you through. It's a knowing. God is in me. And God is in this situation for my good and his glory. I don't care what anybody's intention is. And we know what Satan's is. And, and, but Joseph knew one thing. You, my brothers, may have meant this for evil, he says to his earthly brothers who trashed him as a slave and sold him into bondage, but God meant it for good. And there's a reality we can hang on to. God is in this, and his intention is for my good and his glory. And that's what I was gripping on. The reality of the presence of Christ is my life and his full and sovereign control. No, Satan didn't have the upper hand there. He may have had his dirty fingers at work there, but he did not have the upper hand. And I wasn't scrambling to play catch-up. God is ruling and reigning in this situation, sovereign and supreme. And he said, yes, you're going through the fire, but you will not be burned. You will not be burned. Because you see, even as in the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who was that fourth party present? It was the Lord. He was in the fire with them and sovereignly sustained them through the fire and brought them out on the other side without the smell of smoke. And so this is what we walked through next morning. Took her in for x-rays around 10.30, 11 o'clock. Came back, and the doctor's standing there, and he says to me, well, he, he doesn't know how to explain it. He's certainly not going to call it a miracle, but he said, no trace of any damage in the frontal lobe. It's all gone. No more hemorrhaging there. Swelling, gone. Excess fluid, gone. Thank you, Lord. That's what he had to say on Tuesday morning. 
on Tuesday morning, less than 24 hours from that time. And Dr. Slade, Dutch Slade, whom some of you know, and he'll be coming here again, I think, soon. And Dutch said to me as I called him back, I'd called him as one of the ones, he's both a medical doctor and one of the intercessors that prays for our family regular, he and his wife Linda. And I had called him and he told me, he said, any person that has had that kind of severe brain injury and has all of it gone in less than 24 hours, that's a miracle. That's God. That's a miracle. And praise God, what an assurance and what a peace and a joy that now my faith had begun to become sight. Okay, that's wonderful. I'm expecting to see her jumping up out of bed and us getting on those, no, not the mopeds, not anymore, but on the bus <laughs> and going somewhere, snorkeling or something, you know. And Wednesday morning comes and she's a zombie. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? And boy, I, I start, I mean, and you know, and I haven't slept much because I've been up most of the night with her just sitting by her side and holding her hand and praying over her and comforting her and comforting her. And I would sleep a little and whatever, but maybe three, four hours sleep a night. And so I'm growing weary and physically drained. And you know, that's when Satan comes again for a more opportune time. You know, we breathe a sigh of relief. Well, it's over. And then all of a sudden it's like Wednesday morning comes. And I'm looking around at the situation and she's just like she was the day we brought her in on the outside. Now I've got the, the conviction of my heart that God has healed her and restored her. I've got the medical documentation that the damage in her brain is gone. In fact, the doctor said in the intensive care, he said, hey, as far as I'm concerned, there's no more damage to the brain. She didn't have to stay in intensive care. We'll put her in the regular room. And so I've got all that. In fact, she's in the regular room. But she doesn't look any different. And the, start, the thoughts start coming to me. Well, I know that God told you she was healed, and I know the doctor said she was healed, but look at her. See, there's some real things wrong with her. They just hadn't found it yet. And oh boy, the fears started sweeping around about me and sucking me under. I mean, they were like the tentacles of an octopus squeezing me major. And I'm sitting there, and I'm tired, and I'm looking this situation over, and I'm saying, boy, I, I need a fresh word from the Lord. I need to know where we are in this. I've got to... And I felt like Moses must have felt as he stood out there in the midst of the enemy and God said, you just hold that rod up. Just keep holding it up. That's all you got to do. Except, you know what? My arm was tired and it was coming down. Every time it came down, you remember in the story what happened? The enemy would take it advance. Now, they, they had not won the battle. In fact, they were, it was already a done deal. They were defeated and the battle was delivered into the hands of Moses and the Israelite army. But Moses had to walk that thing through. And here I am on day three, and I'm growing weary. My arm would drop down every once in a while. And God said, now it's time to call Roger, because tonight the people are going to gather at Tree of Life, and they're going to pray. And I want them to come in, and they're going to be like the troops. You know, like uh, Andrew and I we, and, and Lou, we watch the Braves game. And you know, the Braves, they have their, um, their, their pitcher that comes in, you know, maybe around the eighth or ninth inning, and he kind of, uh, finishes that thing off, you know. And God said, now look, Roger and Tree of Life are going to come in and they're going to put in that final one, two, three punch, you know. And we're going to just finish this thing off once and for all. And put this thing to rest. So I called Roger and he, and I shared just a little bit, didn't give him much because there wasn't time, you know. We're talking big bucks here, long distance and whatever. And, but I gave him enough, he knew, and so he began to pray. And while he prayed, see if I can remember this, Lord. Um, God, God spoke to me and uh, he showed me, 
you had just had to say that to me. Thank you, Lord. And it's like that weight that was pressing me down into despair again just lifted. And God said, hold your ground. Hold your ground. You shall overcome. And there was an assurance at that moment again. Now, I didn't know that anything else was different except in my heart and in my mind the, the junk had been blown away. Just blown away. And then of course you all gathered and you all prayed and whatever and here's what God did the next morning. Now Lou gets up, I mean wakes up and they, the nurses are in. That's how they wake you up. See, the nurses are coming in and it's time, okay, here we got to do this and that and they got this big old hypodermic needle and they're about to give her another injection of codeine. And she says, you know, I don't want any more of that stuff. And they said, you don't need any more pain medicine? And she said, I think I want to try doing without it. And that was the Lord. Because the reason she looked like a zombie is because they were giving her big injections of codeine and then they were putting it intravenously into her on a continual basis and she's just getting overdosed, frankly, with drugs. It's a painkiller. And that was affecting her appetite. She wouldn't eat. It, it was affecting her. She was, she was sleeping all the time. It, it was affecting her in numerous ways. And she stopped taking that. And it took several days there, about three, for it to get pretty much out of her system, as I could tell. But she began to calm down and settle down and wake up and become more alert. And, you know, and, then, and by Sunday, I'm rolling her out in the wheelchair, and we're going through the park and looking places over and whatever. And uh, now the doctors have said, we're not going to let her out for eight to ten days because we're not taking a chance of a lawsuit or anything like that. But from that point forward, she was doing fine. And that's why it's, you've got to fight that fight of faith because there's times God's going to show you what he's doing. He's going to lead you to believe him and trust him with it and, and, and agree with him in prayer and whatever. And he may give you all the other medical confirmation, in our case for the physical, or whatever it might be. But then there's going to be something else that might just come along. And that's where you've got to, after having done all, you've just got to stand. Now, stand means to just stay where you are and just keep resting in him with the utmost confidence that what he has said, he will do. He will surely bring it to pass. And so it was taking all of us together to walk through this fire. But the end result is we get home, and uh, we're home about a week, and she and I are out doing a little walking, getting some exercise now. And, and by two weeks after the accident, she's up to close to a mile. And by three weeks, she's walking about a mile and a half. Three weeks after lying on the road, virtually dead, as far as I'm concerned, dead. And um, in fact, we got a prophecy from a lady over there, uh, an anointed uh, sister that God raised up, because I prayed and said, God, give me an anointed person on the island that knows how to believe you. And she came in and said, God had told her that Lou had been slain in battle, and that she was literally dead on that road. And that was the same sensation that I had had. And yet God raised her up. And God brought her back. Thank God. I thank God. I, I, I believe I got my wife back here. I'm telling you, I believe I got my wife back. And I, uh, about third day after we were at the house, she got up and cooked a meal. And to see her standing there with that food, it didn't matter what it was or what it tasted like. All I know is to see her standing in the kitchen cooking a meal, man, it did me good. I tell you, there was such a, a sense of, of joy and, and peace just flooded me just see that I just gave her a big hug and said you know it sure does my heart good to see you standing here cooking a meal <laughs> you know <laughs> and we went 
second Sunday after I went home. This is like in the third week, the third week after the accident. I'm speaking at a church, and she said, I'm going with you. We get in the car, and she says, I'm driving. She hadn't driven yet. She drove one hour. We spent the whole day there, ministered the Word, took a long nap, praise God. About three hours, I guess, she slept. That's good. She was, we had to sleep a lot after that. We had to rest. And uh, she's been doing fine since. She has every once in a while she had in the early stages. I, I don't know how much she's having now, but she would have a little dizziness. That's the only thing she had coming out of that. Took a while to get her energy up, get her strength back, two or three weeks there. That's not much, really. Dr. Slade checked her out finally about the dizziness and said, oh, that's, she said, she's so far beyond everybody else in normal accident. She said that no trace of any problems inside, doesn't need any more x-rays, don't, don't need to go see any doctors. She's just doing great. She's just doing fine. Now, how do these things happen? Well, what I'm saying is, this is the normal Christian life. We all go through fires, but if we know him, we really know him, he will sustain us in and through the fires. Yes, oftentimes he will exempt us from the fires, but if and when he deems it necessary for us to go through the fires, then praise God, we will go through the fires. Andrew made an interesting comment to the youth group, he told me. Uh, they were asking some questions, and he reported about how on day eight, uh, through various circumstances, we ended up making our way uh, to uh, the capital city because Lou felt so good. She said, y'all just all go on and leave and go out and, and do something and, and relax and have a good time. And so we went out, but it was raining. And we were supposed to be going on a, on a glass-bottom boat because our daughter, Amy, always manages to connect up with people that really give her a lot of good deals. And this good deal was these people were going to give us a free ride on this boat that's normally about $25 or $50 a piece. But anyway, it rained, so we couldn't go. So we thought, well, we'll walk around town here, and Amy wanted to go to the drugstore, and so we did. And we got in there, and there was a fellow over there, an old guy, and he looked hideous, and his eyeball is bulging out, and it's just really bad. And he's an old black brother that lived there on the island, and a Bermudian, um, probably in his 80s, really weathered and worn. And I just spoke a kindly word and, and was really praying and asking the Lord if he might let me just lay hands on that fellow and, and pray for his healing. But I didn't get a release in that, so I walked off somewhere else with my other sons, and, and pretty soon the guy shows up and says, are you a doctor? And I said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm a doctor. He said, no, I mean, are you the doctor that works here? And I said, no, that's not me. I'm not the one. You, don't, now, you, don't, you must be looking for somebody else. He said, well, you sure look like him. And, and the Lord just said, this guy's ready. You see, our intercessor over there, Morag, had told me that morning, she said, there has got to be still a reason why they won't release Lou from the hospital. It's got to be more than just that they're uh, concerned about, you know, uh, all this other stuff, that God must have somebody that needs to be saved. Well, I heard God, and, and I said, that's a word from God. There's a person going to get saved today. So I said, Lord, I receive that person's salvation. I thank you for it. Well, I had been looking at people in the hospital. Of course, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm staying all the time. But there was nobody there that surfaced. I'd talk to them about the Lord, you know, but nothing happened. And now we're way over here in the rain. I mean, soaking wet, just wringing wet, water coming off of us, standing here talking to this old gentleman. And he's asking me if I'm a doctor, and the Lord said, he's the man. And I said, well, Lord, the other kids here, they're ready to go. They want to go to get this boat and go on the boat ride, and we're going to miss it if we don't go. And I said, what do I do? And he said, well, just cut right through all the other stuff and just say, ask him, do you know the Lord? So I said to him that very words, do you know the Lord? Just all of a sudden change the subject, do you know the Lord? And he paused a moment, and he said, well, I know about him. I know about him. Well, immediately that told me this guy 
wants to know God and he knows the difference between knowing him and knowing about him. And he knows he doesn't know the Lord and he knows he needs the Lord. And I told him, I said, but you've been seeking God and you want to know the Lord, don't you? And he said, yeah, I sure do. He said, I've been listening to all these Christian radio programs on the air and he started naming off different speakers he had listened to and I said, well, you've already heard what it's all about then. You know about what the Bible says about God's grace and salvation and whatever. So I said, you, you know what Christ has done for you and you're ready to be saved. I said, you, in fact, he said, yeah, he said, I've been praying a lot. He said, all while I'm by myself, I'm always praying to God. I said, today, your prayers are going to be answered and you're going to know the Lord. And I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you what to say. You're going to talk to God. He's present right now. In fact, I said, you sense something going on inside of you. There is a presence in you. That's the Lord. He's dealing with you right now. And that's his Holy Spirit gently wooing you to him. God's working in your life right now. And he said, yeah, you know. Yeah, he said, that's right. He said, I sense that. You've never felt that before. He said, no, I haven't. I said, that's the Lord. That's the Lord on you. Well, you just say what I say. This will be from your heart, and you're going to know the Lord today. And I just let him real basic, you know, recognition of his sin, Christ's death on the cross, acceptance of Christ in his life, ask the Holy Spirit to fill him, take control. I mean, the guy looks up, Andrew's standing there, he's, a, he's checking this whole thing out, and my daughter uh, Amy comes up, and I said, hey, why don't you tell my daughter what's going on? This is her right here. He said, I just asked Christ in my heart. Just asked Jesus in my heart. And I mean, faith lights up, you know. Seymour is saved, see? Here's an old fellow that had been looking for God and seeking God all this time. And the Lord orchestrated all these, and that was just one. See, what God does is so multifaceted. We try to narrow it down to one purpose. Hey, God is so big uh, that it's so multifaceted. I like the way John portrayed it today because he talked about uh, various attributes, and he said, well, they're not exactly things that are uh, a sequence of order or priority because um, this is the way God is, and you can't narrow it down to any one thing. Because God has got so many things going on. But if we live in our own little self-centered world, it's like, why did this happen to me? As if it's all surrounding me. The world doesn't revolve around us. We might say we know that, but we sure don't often act like that. We keep thinking and acting as though it's all, why are these people doing this to me? And why is God doing this to me? And why doesn't God do this for me? Man, when God lets an event like that occur in a, in a person's life, the ripple effect is for many people here, there, and everywhere. I mean, you got in on that. You're a part of what that was about. You were not only a part of it through prayer, but it's impacted your life. And it's impacted our lives and our family and our relatives and the people on the island. I mean, there's a ripple effect that's beyond what any one of us could possibly ever grasp in this day. There are so many things that God does through any one traumatic event. And this is what God's about. His multifaceted purposes are ever operative in us. And we walk through these things. But where does it all begin? It begins by a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. It begins by a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. A boy of age 11 grew up in a home. My father wasn't a Christian. Family was poor. Dad's health was bad. We didn't have a lot of money. Five of us lived in a, in a little two-bedroom house, one bathroom. We were squeezed into that place. And I hated it. Man, I wanted out. And God got me out, praise God, not the way I thought. He got me out by getting him into him. When you get into him, it doesn't really matter where you are or what's happening because now you've got some new way of looking at life that sustains you. And as an 11-year-old boy, and I'm so excited about your children's church and your super Saturdays, because as an 11-year-old boy, 
One of the few times that we were able to get to church, seeing how my mom didn't drive, and my dad was usually busy fishing on Sundays, but he opted to take us, and, and there I am at church, and the Sunday school teacher has a sense that God's dealing with me, and I need to be saved. So he asked me to stay back, and he talked to me about Jesus. Well, Mom had been reading to me about the Lord since I was a boy. I could remember stories from back to age four, Bible stories. Every day she'd read the Word, tell me about the Lord. So I knew what God was about. I just didn't know about what he was about in me. And that day that man made it very clear that Jesus was there for me. Well, there was no, nobody had to convince me about my sins because I had already had some stuff happen in my life that I knew was definitely not right. And I was already feeling guilty and ashamed. And so I didn't have to be convinced that I was a sinner and needed to get saved. I just need to know how and tell me what to do, and I'm ready. And boy, I hit my knees on that little wood floor by those little bitty chairs, and I called upon the name of the Lord and acknowledged my sin, received the Lord Jesus Christ into my life, and I became a new person, praise God. He made me alive. It begins with that personal encounter with Christ, but it continues by a, a revelation of Christ as life. He's what sustains us. The same one that begins the good work continues it. And at age 22, after having been married for just a few months and having seen enough of, of, of Christ's character in Lou to cause me to check out my life again, because I wasn't necessarily bad. See, I'd look around all my friends and I'd say, hey, I'm at least as good or better than most everybody I know that goes to church, so I'm really okay. Oh, no, you're not. Check it out against Christ and then tell me about it. Check it out against him. How you walking now? Are you still walking tall and standing straight or are you kind of hipping and hopping and, and, and like you were saying there, one leg's uh, shorter than the other and you're just kind of hip-hopping half in the gutter and half out. Well, that's how it tends to be. I like what one sister told me when I first got here today. She said, you know, I've been looking for this church for 20 years. I said, really? And I said, well, that's a long time, but praise God you were able to wait that long. She said, yeah, but it wasn't too bad because I didn't realize what I was looking for. And you see, that's how it seems to be with most of us. We're going along and we think things are great because we don't know the half of what God's made available to us in Christ, and we haven't begun to get a clue about what the Spirit of God wants to do in us. And he wants to come and presence himself so mightily in us that if any one of us were to look around three weeks from now, we'd be shocked that we were the same person, because we wouldn't be. My friends began to tell me when I had that, that uh, transforming and uh, uh, life-changing encounter with Christ that second time around, when, when he came back to me after all of that, and I began to seek his face afresh, I threw myself on the floor of a little A-frame house, and I cried out to God, and I said, Lord, I've gotten so desperate for you, I've gotten in the Word like people said, you know, get in the Word. Ever heard that one? Well, how do you get in the Word? So I'm reading the Bible, because that's what I, you know, that's what they mean, but that's not what he means. He is the Word. You don't need to get in the Word. You need to let the Word get in and fill you. And when that happens, this book will come alive. And the Spirit, who is our teacher, you, you can memorize all you want, but when the Spirit teaches you, it's in you. And there's no forgetting that. There's no forgetting that. It's a part of you. It's the flesh of you. It's him walking out his life through you. And I'm on that floor. And I'm saying, God, I've done all I've been told to do. And more, and more, and more. Because every time you think you've done it all, somebody else has the more things you've got to do in order to be this person, whatever, you know. And so I'm trying every way I can to make Jesus Lord and live the Christian life. And I mean, I am maxed out. 22 years old, I'm already burned out. And I am so desperate and defeated, and I'm on that floor, and I'm crying out to God. And I said, God, I can't even get up off this floor. It's so bad. And lose off at work, you know, and I'm there, college student, finishing up my last year of college, 
And that'll burn you out, won't it? Yeah. And so there I'm at in all of this. And I'm laying there on the floor. And finally I get quiet. Finally I get quiet, you know. Quit talking. Quit murmuring. Quit complaining. Quit crying. Just plain get quiet. I mean just run out of steam. And I'm just laying there on the floor now. I don't know what else to do. Praise God. There ain't nothing else to do. And I'm just laying there, face down before the Lord. And just laying there, just like an old limp dish rag. You know, ever heard that old saying? That's pretty old-fashioned, but that's how it is. And I'm just laying there, just laying there. And the still, small voice. Oh, it had been speaking all the time, but you note the Bible calls it a still, small voice. We're going and huffing and puffing and, and, and doing and everything so much, so long, so hard, that we don't even have it. We can't begin to hear the still, small voice. And the word came forth. Be still. Be still. Be still. And know, just know, that I am God. I am God. That's what I am. I am Lord. Who are you to make me? You can't make me Lord. That's not your place. That's not your place. I already am Lord, forever shall be Lord. That's what I am. You can't make me. I make you. But you've got to be still. You've been trying to make yourself into my image, and I've already conformed you to the image of Christ. When I imparted Christ into you, you were born again. You became a new creation. The image is in you, but you've been trying to make it work. You've been trying to make it happen. And boy, all of a sudden, these scriptures I'd been reading and memorizing began to make some sense because some light began to shine. See, a revelation of Christ was coming. You know, we, Pastor Roger and John and others here, you know, that term a revelation of Christ but listen there's more to it than terms and words and principles and concepts there's a reality that we're talking about that's what got me through that fire and what I'm saying today is that's a reality that you've got to come to grips with Galatians 3 3 are you so foolish that is are you so ignorant blind and deceived having begun in the spirit are you now made perfect by the flesh by the flesh well, no I wasn't intending to do it by the flesh I was saying Lord help me be a better Christian Lord help me be stronger Christian Lord give me strength Lord give me power Lord give me victory but in reality I was going out doing these various di disciplines yeah I loved God yes I was sincerely seeking God but I thought if I memorize enough scripture if I stood on enough promises if I got in the word long enough if I prayed loud enough if I witnessed hard enough I'd be a good Christian I was trying to be made perfect by the flesh didn't realize it didn't intend to all the time praying asking God Lord help me this Lord help me that he said I'm not your helper I'm not your hired hand I'm not your servant here. I'm your Lord, and I've come to be your life. But until you cease from your own works, those fleshly efforts, you'll never experience the fullness of my life in your life. You may taste a measure of my spirit. You may have a momentary encounter with the fullness of the spirit, but you'll not walk in the spirit if you're still trying to be made perfect 
by things you do and judging yourself by yourself to see how you're doing or comparing yourself with others in the church to see how you look, that won't get the job done. There's got to come a point in time where you come to grips with the fact that what you thought you were, you're not. And what you wanted to be, you have not attained to. And now it's time to just be still and know he's God. And know, know. You know, Brother Steve was one of the fellows at the retreat, right, Steve? And uh, he shared just some things with me that I feel like really speak to this situation. And you need to hear what God did in the lives of these men at the retreat, but you also need to hear how this is a current event. What I'm talking about is present tense right now. And I want him to just share, just momentarily, whatever, however long you feel led to share, but just uh, help us to understand where you were at and what God said and did in your life uh, during this time. This is going to fit right in. This is a perfect example. Go ahead, brother. Um, a similar situation kind of happened to me as happened to Lewis. And uh, when I went to bed that night, I, I laid down and uh, I'm like, you know, God, what's going on? What's, you know, I'm doing all these things. I'm coming to church. You know, I'm helping with the children, um, trying to make my family live right and live for God. And I was miserable, and uh, it's like nothing was really working. And, I, and uh, he just said, in you know, kind of a still small voice, "Just give it to me, Steve. Just give it to me." And what I realized was, I was using godly principles, but I was trying. I was doing it in the flesh. If you understand what I'm saying, um, I didn't. You know, I was using scriptures. Uh, and just doing things. But I didn't have that oneness with the Father like Jesus did. I didn't have that, that relationship. And um, uh, But what happened is, you know, I, I have a release now. I, I feel at peace, and I'm relaxed. And uh, something happened to me yesterday, uh, Super Saturday. You know, I got up for the altar call, and I, I just went blank. I didn't know what to say, or I just went blah you know but that was okay and uh you know two weeks ago i would have been all worried man what happened you know, i didn't do this right i didn't do that right but you know what happened it was okay and, and it wasn't it wasn't meant to be and thought i was living life as i was supposed to because here i was now 22 uh years old i was ordained a deacon in the church I was the youth leader in the church. We were experiencing revival, didn't ever know what to call it, but that's what it was because the kids were on fire for the Lord. They were all excited about God. They were coming to me saying, can we have Bible studies? I wasn't going to them saying it's time for a Bible study. They were coming to me saying, hey, we got friends out at Dairy Queen. Can we go lead them to the Lord? I was going down there with them. I wasn't saying, hey, we got to go witnessing. They were saying, we want our friends to know Jesus like we know him. Their brothers and sisters were coming to me saying, hey, we want, we want what they've got. Will you come teach us? And yet, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, there was still a gap in my knowing of Christ. I was still trying to get a hold of him instead of seeing he'd already got a hold of me. Instead of seeing he'd already got a hold of me. I like what Barry said about how he realized he'd been overtaken by the Lord. The Lord already apprehended us. And Paul said, I apprehend that for which I am already apprehended of Christ. That means we lay hold of what he's already laid hold of. He's already got a hold of us. We just say yes and amen to him. We just choose to agree with what he's said and done in us. And he has made us. 
Now, what he makes, he declares, is very good. It's very good. And since you can't get any better than what he makes, quit trying to improve on God. Quit trying to make it better. Stop trying to fix up the flesh. Jesus told Peter, now, Peter, you need to get a grip here, man. The flesh is weak. Figure it out for yourself, Peter. You have beat your head against enough brick walls long enough that you ought to by now realize you're just not going to go the distance. So when are you going to just give up and let it go and turn loose of all of your efforts and attempts to be somebody and make yourself right and see that I've already made you the righteousness of God in Christ? That's what God wants us to see today, afresh. Not just terminology, because I've counseled enough people in enough places to know that we're in a day where there is a glut of information out there. This is the information age, that's what we're told. And it's true in the Christian community as well. But information will never, ever alter our lives. It requires a transformation. And that's a work of the Spirit by the power of God through the person of Christ. That's what it'll do. So you might be sitting there saying, yeah, I, I, I've heard all that. Roger preaches it. I've heard you preach it before. I'm simply saying again what you've heard before and what I needed Roger and many others who called and prayed with me to remind me of and to affirm in me was right and true and what Lou oftentimes has to remind me of of what I teach and preach. We need to be constantly reminded and reinforced that this is it. There is no searching anywhere else, no going any deeper. You don't get any deeper than Christ. And this is where we stop, and this is where we start, and this is where we continue, is by being rooted and grounded in Him. There's our sure foundation, an established life established in Christ. Fixed, a fixed consciousness that I am complete in Christ. I can't get any more of Him, and I'm going to let Him have all of me so that He in His fullness can fill me and overflow through me. And every day, in every situation, He'll just be flowing through and flowing through. And it won't be a matter of me having to stop and turn him back on through my prayer to get him in the situation because he'll already be in me and working through me in every situation. And he's just calling us back to that simple but fresh reminder of his all-sufficient, ever-abiding presence. And he's just wanting to remind you afresh, wait a minute, I came into you. I, the Lord of glory, indwell you. Now, on the other hand, maybe you just thought you had Christ. You may be like old Seymour. You may have heard a lot of Bible sermons, and he was starting to preach me some of those. And you may, you may know about Christ, but the question still remains for you today, do you know him? Do you really know Jesus Christ? Do you have that knowledge of him, that awareness of his life in you? Now, when I was growing up, the common phrase was, when did you know the Lord? When did you come to know the Lord? It wasn't when did you get saved or when did you walk the aisle or when did, any of that stuff. It was, did you know the Lord? And that's pretty right on, you see. Do you or don't you know the Lord? And if you do, you know it. Now, you might have doubts in momentary times where you waver. Yes, of course. That can happen. But down deep in the core of your being, do you know him? And if you don't, it's just like for Seymour. He's here for you today. He's available for you today. But if you know him, do you know him as your life? Do you know him as your life? Or do you know him only as a casual acquaintance that you call upon now and then when it's convenient or when there's a crisis? 
when it gets so big and so bad that you can't handle it anymore? As if you could ever handle it? <laughs> because you can't. And that's why the little things tend to get to us. Because the little things are the things we think we can handle. And that's why old Peter, bless his heart, couldn't even stay awake for an hour. And yet he was going to go to the cross with Jesus. And you see, we can't even handle the little things. And yet we think, you know, that we only need to call upon the Lord when it really gets bad. And then we've got to get him to come in and bail us out. But we can't handle even a single thing. And so he's saying to us today, you know the scriptural truth that I'm your life. But have you ever finally just let yourself go and totally trusted me with your life? One of your feet is up on the sidewalk. Part of the time, you're allowing me to be your life. But that other foot is down in that gutter. Now, you may not want it to be, and you sure know it hadn't ought to be, but it's still there. We keep asking God to lengthen that leg or, or shorten that leg or whatever needs to be done so we can walk level. And he says, hey, you don't need me to fix your flesh. Just get on that sidewalk where you belong. Man, I've done a job on you, and it's a good job. But you're down there in that gutter where you don't belong. You're not, you see, no human being can walk with one leg on the sidewalk and one leg in the gutter. We're all going to limp. All we got to do is get up out of there and walk where he made us to walk, in the heavenly places. Set your affections up there. That's where you live. That's where you're seated with him in heavenly places. You're not down there. So get up out of that gutter, whatever kind of gutter it might be. And for your gutter, it might be a pretty impressive gutter. It might be some position of great, great importance. It might be some position of a lot of financial security. But whatever it is, if it's not Jesus, it's a gutter. Amen. Just call it whatever you want to call it. But under all of the, all the stuff, it's still a gutter if it's not Jesus. And he's saying, you can know me as your life. You've tasted of my life. You've partaken of my goodness. But just let me now take you totally and completely. Totally and completely. See, we say, well, I've given it all to Jesus. Well, you gave all that you felt you needed to give. Maybe you gave all that you had the capacity to give, but there's a lot of you, bits and pieces of you, that may well be given over to other things in other ways or to other people. And it's time for us to take back some ground that the enemy has. Some of us have tried to give, but it's no longer ours to give because we've already given place to the devil. We've already yielded certain members of our, of our being over to him. And we need to say enough is enough. I'm going to stop wallowing in this muck. And the way I'm going to do that is by simply seeing that Jesus has already raised me up out of it and placed me with him in heavenly places. And I'm going to say no. Just as one day there came a time and a place where you said yes to whatever that temptation was, and you said yes long enough to where Satan got a hold of you and had a grip on you in that area, it's time today to say no. You can't just say, Lord, I give this to you because it's not yours to give anymore. But you can say to the devil, no. It's not yours to hold on to anymore. I'm the blood-bought child of God. This is the property of Jesus we're talking about here. This body's his temple, and he alone should have full and free access to it. And whatever and however I've given over bits and pieces of my life in various times, through ignorance or through deliberate uh, sin and, and willfulness, doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, whatever it is, it's just time to say no. Just say no. You know, that's what we talk about the kids, just say no. 
So we're not talking about willpower. We're just simply saying, even as by an act of faith you chose to say yes and enter into certain kinds of temptations, subtle or obvious, it's just time to say no. I reject that. Just as I once accepted, so now I reject whatever that might be in Jesus' name. And Lord, now I'm saying to you, you're my life, and I'm here to release myself into you. Take me. Lord, you make me. I'm through trying to make you. And I'm through trying to make myself. Lord, you take me now, and you just make me whatever you want me to be. But I'm yours. I'm just releasing myself to you. We're ready to do that. We are ready to do that. We are more than ready to do that. And we're going to do that. So let's, let's stand together. Well, the Lord Jesus is saying again today, just come to me. Just come to me. He's that gentle shepherd. He's gentle. He's not here to put us down or knock us down or beat us up. His compassionate arms are ever reaching out to us. And he's saying, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Oh, come to me. Come to me. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. And Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. In the same way that Seymour felt that sensation inside of him, some of you are feeling a sensation inside of you. There's a stirring within you. It's a rumbling. There's a warmth, even a gentleness settling over you. It's like the brother who had had serious back pain. And recently as I was in that church services, we were standing just like we are today. And he said the pain just began to leave. Because the healing presence of Jesus came upon him. And the Lord told him, you go on up there and you let everybody know that you're trusting the Lord for your healing and that he has healed you. Whatever your needs are, Jesus says, come. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, Jesus says, come. Now's the time. You've sat here this morning, you've realized that your life was perhaps like Seymour's. And down deep inside, although you know a lot about the Lord, you know some scripture, you've heard the preaching, you've tried to apply it to your life, but you don't know Christ. And you realize today you need to meet the Lord. Well, come. He's available. Pastor Roger, myself, Brother John, whomever the Lord leads, we're available to minister right here, right now. So your, your time is now. The time is now. The time is now. So come. Whosoever will, just come. You're coming afresh to say, Lord, I'm laying my life on that altar. I'm presenting my life to you as a living sacrifice. I'm saying no to the foothold Satan has gotten in my life. I'm saying no. I'm taking back the ground. And I'm placing it where it belongs, in your hands, Lord. I'm tired of trying to make myself. I'm here to let you take me and make me what you want me to be. That's you. You come up. You come. This is what God is about right now. This is for